We're in business to save the planet, and we use making clothes to do that. The cure for depression is action. Every one of us has to step up and do what you can according to what your resources are. That was the voice of Patagonia's Yvonne Chouinard, and this is Type 2, a podcast from Looking Sideways in association with Patagonia that explores the intersection between outdoors, action sports and activism. Now, in each show, I'll be meeting people who are using their passion and involvement with the cultures we all love to create change. We're going to be discussing the issues they're involved in, the change they're seeking to make, the difficulties involved and the rewards that follow. So my guest this week... On the second episode of Type 2 is longboarder Belinda Bags. Now, Bindi's a surfer from Newcastle in Australia, who's renowned as one of surfing's foremost longboarding stylists, I'd say. In the water, her milestones are numerous. She initially made a name on the competitive circuit, but like I say, she's really renowned for the elegance of her approach to wave riding. She's also got the distinction of being the first female surfer featured on the cover of Surfer's Journal, which should give you some idea of the renown in which uh, Belinda is held. Today, she's an ambassador for Patagonia and works across numerous projects with the brand. Like a lot of surfers, Belinda's relationship to the ocean is much more than the simple act of wave riding. As she said in a recent interview, it encompasses care for the environment, respect for the power of nature. It's the ultimate playground. It's a place to be challenged and a place to relax. It's a viewpoint that helps to explain her passionate, forthright involvement in the fight for the bite, the grassroots campaign that aims to stop Norwegian oil giants Equinor from drilling for oil in the great Australian bite. Now, as a resident of Victoria these days, it's an issue that is particularly close to home for Bindi, who's been tirelessly using her platform to draw attention to the issue and spearhead the fight for what has rapidly become a symbolic frontline issue for surfers around the world as you've probably gathered from social media. It's an important one, this, because it sums up the battles that lie ahead. The resources are finite, and obviously a company like Equinor deciding to, you know, explore one of the world's great wildernesses in an attempt to extend the life of fossil fuels is is a pretty considerable battleground, I would say, which is why this campaign, I think, is so close to home for a lot of people and why Bindi's so passionate about it. We met up in Ventura in April 2019. We sat down, we discussed the life in surfing, we discussed the fight for the bite, and the ways in which activism has gradually evolved to become more of an important element in her life. It was a really thoughtful, reflective conversation with one of my favourite surfers. Hope you enjoy it. Here's me and Belinda Bags. Enjoy. So I'm with Belinda. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Matt? I'm good. Yeah, nice to see you. So we're in Ventura. My first time in Ventura. Got a classic view of the point. And you've been here all week, right? Yeah, um, I've been in California for the last five days um, working with Patagonia and a huge team of their ambassadors on a tool for activist summit. Yeah, is that the first time they've Patagonia have held one of these um, events? Yeah, so they've often done the events that are more aimed at um, people who are working on grassroots environmental causes, but none specifically aimed at their ambassadors or athletes. So it was really great to get everyone together and um, see just how much work everybody's been putting in towards protecting the places that they all play and love 
and also to know that we have a really strong community within the ambassador network so much so that I almost feel like a lot of them are like a family um, to be able to learn from and kind of like skill share and to be able to help each other out when it's really important. Is that something that that you you do quite often then? Everybody get together and kind of share resources and ideas in this way? Um, I think, and you know, we, this was the first time we've done it internationally. Yeah. But quite often within our regions, I think we will be sharing um, support and resources within each other, which has happened recently um, within Australia. Yeah. Well, of course, very nicely brings us to the the kind of campaign I guess you've been really involved with recently, which is the fight for the bike, which I, which I guess most people listening to this will have seen on social really because it's had a huge presence on social hasn't it this campaign so could you explain what what that is like what the issue is what is the fight for the bike yeah just for people that might not might have seen it and not really delved any further yeah so um quite a few years ago there's they have opened up the oil exploration rights for a zone down in the great australian bite and um, previously there's been a few companies look at it. BP was one who looked at it and pulled out. Chevron was another one, looked at it and pulled out. And now there's a Norwegian company called Equinor who are currently, um, who currently have just put in their environmental plan to drill for oil in the Great Australian Bight. Now, for anyone who doesn't know where the Great Australian Bight is, it's basically the southern coastline of Australia. It's open to a weather system called the Roaring Forties, which I think the name in itself sort of pretty explanatory. Yeah, it gets the full power of the Southern Ocean, basically. Exactly. Because you get because yep. the Roaring Forties effectively go round the bottom of the globe, don't they? And 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 hit that part of Australia, effectively. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So it's yeah. one of the wildest places on the planet. It really is. It's truly wild. It's also um, a place where there's a lot of protected marine species. Um, a lot of there's a breeding ground for southern right whales. There's a lot of sea life down there, a lot of birds. Yeah. Um, and it's just a really wild part of the coast as well. Yeah. So. so a couple of things to say on that. So you said that um, the government granted the rights. So it was a Labour government, wasn't it? Like in like, I think it was quite a while ago, wasn't it? It was like uh, 2011 yeah, it was or something. quite a while ago, yeah. And do they, do they effectively just grant those licenses for people to explore the possibility of drilling in, in areas like that? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know the exact wording and terminology here, sure. so I could be getting some of that wrong. But um, yeah, so they've like basically granted them the rights to put in their environmental plan. Yeah, to explore, to the, explore possibility. Yeah. the possibility of drilling for oil in the Great Australian Bight. And it's it should be said as well that it's very, very deep water drilling, right? So yeah, it's, 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 um, it's ludicrously... Um, ambitious engineering project let's say completely so it's uh around two kilometers deep yeah um the actual well itself is 340 kilometers out into the ocean it's a floating platform and they go two kilometers down to the seafloor and then have to go about i think it's just under three kilometers through the earth's crust to access the oil so i mean those depths in itself are just absolutely insane yeah. and when you combine that with the weather patterns that come through there and the inability to you know in those storm situations get out to stop that oil if there is a case of a spill is just too much to risk yeah because i guess the closest 
comparison to the one in the Gulf of Mexico, right? Because that was uh, the, the Deepwater, Deepwater Horizon. Deepwater Horizon, yeah. And that was not as remote or ambitious an engineering project either, was it? No, but, it yeah. wasn't. And the depths also aren't quite as much when you... I think maybe the one of... I think maybe the drilling through the crust was longer. Um, oh, sorry, was further. Drilling through the crust was further, but the depth of the ocean floor wasn't as much or vice versa. It was one of the two. Yeah. Um, but this one, when you add it up in total numbers, is just over. Yeah. And, and the other thing to say is that... Um, it's never been done before has it like by any oil company no, no one's actually attempted to um a project of this remoteness or scale and the other thing to say is it is exploratory so they don't even actually know what they're going to find right yeah exactly and on the wider context i guess what you what you're seeing is oil companies basically trying to find the last resources that they can exploit right and having to go into ever wilder and more remote and complicated situations to get there exactly exactly and i mean this particular like their own spill modeling shows that if there is a spill there's potential for that spill to go from you know western australia margaret river area all across the southern coastline of australia up through victoria up to new south like part of new south wales up to port macquarie yeah tasmania which is pretty much sydney right uh, past Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. Way past Sydney. So it's all the way. And which is the, the way. which is the graphic that's been doing the rounds on social. Yes. Which is actually their own modeling, right? Yeah, that is taken off that that graphic was taken off of their own modeling in their environmental plan. Yeah. So which is that was a worse case. Well, yeah. But <laughs> it's a pretty bad case. Yeah. So um, are there I mean I'm guessing that when, when you when you setting up a project like this you need to demonstrate if there was a calamity and there was like a, an oil spill like how quickly you could you could sort it out right right so given the remoteness like what's the scenario there not fantastic because of the the weather patterns and the the, the huge seas which would stop some of their boats from even being able to access the area yeah in the in bad conditions um, as well as most of that coastline is like sea cliffs as yeah. well and so the accessibility to that is like very low. Yeah. Well, the argument presumably being made in favor of it is jobs and the resource issue, right? But then on the flip side, what's, and this is where we're going to get to the work that you're involved with, what's being threatened are the existing communities and, and industries that are there, mm -hmm. right? So could you give us an idea of some of the, of those communities and industries that, that stand to be threatened by this? Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of fisheries industry tourism and as well as a lot of local communities like even the, the community that I live in near Torquay in Victoria is built around tourism surf tourism and so all of that risk is, is at risk and it's threatened so you know it kind of spans beyond that like we have handed out um, petitions to the to the local businesses and we've had everything from like the fish and chip shop and the coffee shop and the hotel owner the caravan park operator like all signing this saying like it's not in our best interest basically yeah i mean there's a huge campaign there's a huge grassroots campaign um 
there's NGOs involved, there's concerted action on, on a lot of different levels, right? Which you're involved involved with. So could you give give us an idea of um, what those different levels of action against this currently look like? Yeah, so um, the main alliance that's been working on this is Great Australian Bite Alliance, who Patagonia has also been supporting and is a part of. Um, they have been passing out educational material on this for quite some time as well as petitioning and trying to also get local councils to sign off on officially opposing drilling in the Great Australian Bight because of the risks that it would take would, would have and the threats that it put places on that area. So in Torquay um, a couple of months ago, we petitioned our local council, so the um, Surf Coast Shire Council, to officially oppose drilling in the Great Australian Bight we had petitions up all over town. Um, it wasn't an online thing, so people actually had to show up in person to, to sign and put their address on. We then took it to the council who um, placed it at a meeting and then we had half the town turn up because it was such an important issue for us all. And then the council board members um, put it to a vote and they almost unanimously, I think there was one or two of the board members that, that still weren't sitting with us, but opposed it and then they have officially opposed it um, to our federal government um, which with one council just doing it doesn't really make a difference yeah I guess the point it, it's link, linking, collectively linking, is linking these, them all together these community efforts exactly right? yeah so there's been a few councils along the coastline now I think maybe the tally's just under 10 also councils that are officially opposing it but there's other ones that are still being petitioned and, and worked on so that was I guess that was sort of my first step to being part of the campaign was really getting behind it on a local level and making people aware that this, even though it is in this remote part of Australia, that, you know, most of us probably will never visit or see like firsthand, like we're not going to see the oil rig out in the ocean, yeah. but we're directly threatened by it. And, you know, it's going to hit us all like our livelihood, the economy, and things like that. Well, it's also like a real outlier for the for the current state of how we deal with the environment in the future, isn't it? Because as we said earlier, if you if this happens, it's such a it's such an, a new flag in the ground for the for the oil industry, isn't it? Because it'll basically open up that same approach to other remote areas of the world. I mean, that's that's clearly if that industry in the face of the environmental movement is going to continue to grow that must be the only option for them to to try and find these you know inaccessible areas so that's why this fight is so important isn't it because the more that people and communities can can fight against that then the more that cuts off that avenue for them for growth which is let's be honest um i mean in the wider context of this whole debate and environmental conversation their model is is numbered really eventually like right. it, it can't carry on no it's not an infinite thing no. eventually so you know eventually we will have to change our approach to energy yes. i mean that's just a given right. so this is almost like a last throw of the dice for them isn't it really you know i think so and and i think as well on top of that that's really impactful in australia is that the oil's not even going to us well, it's that's getting the, sent to Norway. That's the other thing, isn't it? You've, then you've got this whole other layer to it, which is the fact it's not even it's a Norwegian company. Yes. 
exploiting Australian res- resources yes. um, for profit, basically. Yeah, and I know that there's a few kickbacks that the Australian government will receive from that, but the number of jobs that we get out of it is very low um, and the threats are just way too high. Yeah, so, so. What's, the, what's the process now? Because I know that there was just a... There was a deadline, wasn't there, to, for people to... Yeah, so um, Equinor had put in their environmental plan, which was open to, for public comment for 30 days and uh, ended up having around 31,000 comments on that, which they're now trying to disregard. Yeah, well, their, their statement was heavy-handed in the extreme, wasn't it? It was very heavy-handed. Very patronising, really. Yeah, it was quite offensive in a lot of ways. Yeah. But, um, what was the gist of that then? How would you basically so, kind of belittle in the movement? Yeah, I mean, they were basically saying that a lot of, we were people that were opposing it were using fear tactics to get the community on board and that the evidence that we were presenting wasn't factual, which was totally not true because it came from their environmental plan themselves. Yeah. So that, and then they were also saying that, you know, a lot of the people's comments weren't, uh, answering questions or commenting on parts of the actual comment, it was more throwing out there our concerns. Yeah, well, it was the, you know the kind of the, it was almost like quite sniffy. He's almost saying like mm, you've been so emotional about this, right? You know, but it's an emotional situation. Yeah, because it's threatening the livelihood and the existence of all our communities. So it is personal for us. Yeah, this fight is personal for us, and I think that that's the reason why it's had such a huge response within the Australian surfing communities. Well, I was about to ask as well, has it had a similar response in the wider community? Because I, on your Instagram, I saw there's, uh, there's an article that you linked to. I, I mean, I'm not going to remember his name, but quite a big figure went to Norway, right, and um, protested directly. So basically, they're at higher levels, this conversation is starting to... It's starting to... People to are paying take, attention. Exactly. And even to have it in our mainstream media yeah. was a huge win because before all the paddle outs, like, we were pushing to try and get, like, little media coverage to, to build awareness. And so it's definitely ramped up in the eyes of the mainstream media and being recognised by a lot of different walks of life now. And, and I think to have somebody like Twiggy step up and say, like, this risk is not worth it is huge, you know? Like, it's probably one of the biggest wins for the campaign so far. Yeah. There's also a really strong Indigenous um, aspect to this whole campaign, isn't there? Um, so... Do you know what the time frame is for this? I'm not sure when the actual decision will be made, but they are trying to start drilling next summer. Okay. So wow, so it's soon. So it'll be soon. Right. Yeah. It's ramping up. And I think that's why there's such an urgency on it right now. Um, they, All the paddle outs that have been happening, which has been up and down the Australian coastline, and we've had like thousands and thousands of people turn out, is kind of just a like real outward response to the protest yeah you know like we can't get down to south australia to protest this directly and so everybody in their communities are turning up in the thousands to to protest and sort of show the urgency of the matter at hand yeah so people can do that i mean is there anything direct that people can do to to help help this this fight uh i mean if you live in australia you can petition and keep pressuring your local council to officially oppose drilling in the Great Australian Bight. 
You can also put pressure on your policy policymakers. Yeah, because that's something you've been involved with as well, right? Yeah. So um, making people accountable for accountable their policies, for their actions and their policies. Exactly. Yeah. Like right now, I have a letter going around. Uh, my local area that I'm going to send out to all our political candidates right. just basically says, you know, we want better policies from you and we're yeah. demanding that as voters and this is how we're going to be voting next election. And, and you know, to now, like, these same policymakers haven't made, uh, haven't taken a side on this. They're not taking a stand. So... Yeah, so that pressure... To can, put the pressure yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, I guess all these... All these campaigns are about that incremental pressure aren't they like basically at every level whether it's media politicians local communities exactly just making sure that people are aware that this is a real passionate yeah. issue that people care about and, and i think it kind of goes the same for like people who may live in europe or in norway as well like and so to be able to pressure like you know the company direct from from the side from from the norwegian side from the people's side is as equally important yeah so you obviously you work for Patagonia as well as as uh, a surf of Patagonia so have you been involved in in that campaign because um Nevertown is a film that that Patagonia made that kind of deals with this issue as well yeah so um I was involved in Nevertown we basically just wanted to come up with a film that would prompt people to get together and fight for their own local issues so the whole idea of it was to make this great surfing film that brushed upon environmental issues, but to play it in all these local communities around Australia and, and of course, around the globe, but um, and to get everybody together to fight for your own coastline or your own issues that, that are happening at the time. Yeah, I really like the way it was framed. I really like the way that it was essentially about the community's plural relationship with the environment rather than making it about the single issue, you right. know, rather than it was more about, well, let's look at these relationships that people have with the local environments and, and what they give those communities and, and look at it in that, which is obviously the whole point of this. You know, that relationship is what's being threatened, right? Exactly, yeah. And I think, I mean, that's, as surfers, that's one thing is that, like, we rely on the natural environment to for the, for the sport that we love, you know, yeah. for our passions and in certain circumstances, like for our income as well. And for me, like, the ocean is part of my family heritage. And so... It's personal. It's very, very, very personal. Yeah. yeah. And, like, to be able to, to sort of, like, use Nevertown as a tool to gather your community of people and present them with issues that may be happening locally was an amazing tool to be able to like get everyone together and and really like rally the community about things that are important to them so i remember when we were doing the first set of um tours of the of the film around australia i did one in newcastle which is where i grew up i yep. don't live there now but i grew up there and there's just recently been seismic testing going on right so it was great i've been working with the stop seismic testing newcastle group already on the issue but they were kind of lacking community support, mostly just because people didn't know about it. And it was kind of hard to get the message out there. And so we were able to use the the film as a tool to like gather community and get together and really discuss the issue for the first, one of the first times. Right. Well, there's a really nice line, I think that Rasta says in it, which is that, you know, you can only look at something like this for so long before you need to start participating and you need to start becoming an activist yourself. Exactly. Really, which, which is obviously the kind of idea and the impetus 
behind the the whole project right yeah exactly yeah and i think it was really successful in a lot of ways and and i think the film almost set a tone for like what's happening now with fight for the bite so it's sort of been like an integral part of like you know rallying that community and having them them ready and willing to stand up and be the change that's needed to protect our planet so is your own interest in this um and your own involvement in in campaigns such as this presumably is very linked to your um identity as a surfer as well and your relationship to the ocean yeah i um i think you know to give you a bit of a backstory like i've surfed or been on the beach my entire life and when i first started surfing i found there was a lot of days that were too big for me to actually get out there and surf and so i'd spend that time in the sand watching my dad surf and just started picking up rubbish off the beach you know picking up plastic and bottles and whatever had washed up like bits of rope and it was a really rewarding thing for me to feel like I was able to give back to the place that was giving me so much like at the time I was like a young teenager adolescent like really confused in life and the ocean and surfing was like the one place that I felt like I connected and and like fit in with the world and didn't have to you know get anxiety about not being cool in front of my friends and things like that and so yeah to be able to like do that really simple act of like picking up trash was kind of like the first I guess part of like activism you could say that I that I kind of went into and and since then like I think it's just grown to see like the coastline change the issues become worse environmentally but still being able to like do something to help ultimately is the thing and to be able to like stand up as an individual and raise awareness and say I'm not gonna stand for this you know and then in a lot of cases I feel like being able to reach out to my community and in some forms like use my surfing to gather other people and get them enthusiastic about the issue and stand up with me is like a really important thing for me right now like I feel like over the years any kind of surfing profile that I've gotten like I understand it now and like it has a purpose and like if I can use that as a tool to create awareness or you know prompt people to to stand up then that's the most important thing and that's developed then as your relationship with surfing has evolved basically yeah i think so like you know you go through years of surfing i'm like oh i want to win that contest or like oh maybe like i can use my career to get a get a trip to indonesia to go surfing like yeah and now i kind of realize that like none of that was important and and this is sort of like what i'm most passionate about right now is is like wow like now i understand why i have this community like you know in some form so it's community is a word that's come up a lot so yeah do do you feel like campaigns that are successful that's what's at the heart of them like working with different communities and and kind of raising awareness on that level yeah i think they start at a community level i mean for me like when i had i have a son who's seven years old and uh i've always been like you know as i said like quite aware of environmental issues and caring and passionate but it hasn't been until I've had my son that I really realized that like what legacy am I leaving for him you know for his generation 
because ultimately we're all just custodians of this earth and yeah. you know we're passing it on to the, to our children and i want to ensure that he has a safe future and you know i go now i'm i feel for the first time as well that like through my son is the first time i've ever felt part of a community that's really interesting going what? to school and you know he has friends and i know everyone in our street you know and it's it's something that's like yeah really given me like a pla- like a place and a community of people and i see the power in that yeah and that's yeah because i guess like you say when you're younger and teens 20s and start getting into these sports and lifestyles it's kind of the furthest thing from your mind really isn't it yeah i mean when i was in my teens all i wanted to do was get out of my hometown yeah and like just, travel the world you just, and you're just thinking inward looking inwardly aren't you you know what's going to satisfy me like yeah what, exactly what, what what's gonna you know what can i do that's gonna stoke that internal fire which is fine but i do think as you get older and or maybe more experienced you do start to look a little bit more broadly don't you definitely for, for, for a bit of meaning and a, and a bit of like well what can what can you give back yes in the way that you're talking about yeah exactly and i think a lot of these issues like these big issues that we're talking about like as well like i feel like the fight against i don't know speaking about the fight for the bite example like for me to like have an impact on what the australian federal government decides to do is probably not very warranted you know but if I can rally my local community, that will have a big impact. Yeah, and, you know? and a tangible impact as well. Exactly. So people listen to this that may be inspired or thinking that they want to get involved in some way in, you know, on any level. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for people that, where to start? Yeah, I mean, I think to tackle things at a community level are really important. Um, one other piece of advice that I was given a really long time ago which has stuck by me is to utilize the skills and tools that you have at hand so you know for me it was my surfing like great I can finally put this to purposeful good use you know some people may not surf it may be that they're an artist or they're a lawyer or like they have this very special personal skill set and to reach out to a local environmental group that's working on an issue that you're passionate about and to offer those skills. Find, so find your platform almost. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Find your platform, work with somebody who's already informed on the issues that are happening so yeah. you make sure that what you're doing is is like with purpose. Then I would say that is to just offer the skills that you have. Yeah. And I think it's really important to note as well that everybody's voice can be used to be a part of this change you know to create this change and so it's important for us all to stand up and come together collectively to work on changing the system yeah and what this is a theme i've talked about on this podcast before it's quite easy to to kind of level charges of hypocrisy at people like us who kind of have a lifestyle where we travel a lot for seemingly like quite at times something like surfing you know it's still can be seen as quite self-centered like so so, you know it's an obvious charge to level at at somebody who's sticking their head above the parapet and deciding that they're gonna try and make a positive change so how how do you deal with those kind of criticisms um i think i admit it i am a hypocrite in a lot of ways you know i am a super nerd and i measure my carbon footprint frequently and i am a huge believer in the fact that every individual can make a difference 
and that what how I live and act on a daily basis is maybe not as important but holds a very high importance to the state of this planet and the environment and I like to live and lead by example um in saying that I have a terrible travel footprint I've been around the world quite a few times and but in order to counteract that I have completely switched my diet I don't use plastics um I make sure I source all my own energy within my household from renewable resources and try and cut down on my emissions wherever I can, basically. Yeah. Like I live an examined life, yeah. but I will definitely be the one to point out that like I still have shortcomings, you know, and I think a lot of my shortcomings are based upon the fact that there needs to be system change yeah. more so than a change that I can implement as an individual. So like to you know for example like our cars are all still powered by petrol there's alternatives out there now but they're not implemented by the system yeah and so to be able to come together like collectively as a group of people and demand that change i think is is really powerful yeah and what what are the rewards for you for for, for living this life that you've just outlined and being part of these community battles if you like or maybe the wrong word but you understand what i mean like yeah, what, I think, what, what do you get out of it personally um you know to, to be quite honest i'm terrified of the future for my son i'm so scared of what the the world is going to bring for him and you read all these scientific reports and we don't have long and so the reward is feeling like i'm i'm able to do something you know, and I look at my role as a parent as being like holding in the highest regard the safety and the future of my child. And the biggest and most important thing that we can fight right now is climate change, which is a huge issue and has multiple layers. And so if I can do all I can on that that's within my means, to still function and like be a mother that's there for him as well as being able to like watch out for his future that's the reward that's a great point to leave it thanks cheers Belinda <laughs> thank you so there you go that was uh, me and Bindi for the second episode of Type 2 my new show in association with Patagonia I hope you enjoyed it if you did please consider letting me know by dropping me a line at podcast at wearelookingsideways.com or leaving me a message over at my Instagram channel at We Look Sideways. I'll be releasing new episodes of Type 2 every month or so. They're going to appear in my usual Looking Sideways channel, which you can subscribe to via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your usual podcast purveyor. If it's your first time checking out what I do, make sure you get stuck into the back catalogue. I've got over 90 episodes of interviews with some of the biggest names in action sports and other related endeavours over at my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. I reckon there'll be a few that you'll enjoy in there. So go and have a look. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Nice one. (laughs) 